Hi, and welcome to the Wild EM Podcast, where our goal is bringing you better care while you play out there. Before we get into today's topic, what is Wild EM? Well, this is a podcast about everything wilderness, adventure, and expedition medicine. My name is Steve, and I'll be your host for the show. I'm an emergency medicine doctor living up in Canada and super passionate about playing outside. Now, I'm no lawyer, but my buddy is, and he's told me to tell you that this show is not intended as medical advice, and the skills and knowledge discussed here should be used in light of your professional training. All right, with that out of the way, let's get on with today's show. If you're like me, you've already gotten injured while you were playing outside. Maybe it was trying that dyno on that slab route, or sending that mountain bike jump you just quite couldn't get. Regardless, shit happens, and we can't always count on our pre-hospital services to bail us out, especially if we're outside. So for that reason, I think it's very important that we carry a medical kit to be able to care for ourselves, at least momentarily or until we can reach the pre-hospital or hospital services. Which brings us to today's subject. The objective today is going to be to give you an idea of a medical kit that I bring more than 90% of the time on all my adventures, especially for day outings, whether I'm hiking, mountain biking, or rock climbing. I think that the medical kit that you bring varies a lot depending on, you know, what you're doing, how long you're going out for. But today we're really going to focus on the kit that I'll bring, like I said, more than 90% of the time for my day outings. So let's talk packaging to start off with. Packaging. I think a great product is the Adventure Medical Kits Bag. It comes in a 0.5 liter pack, um, which comes with a nice little packable medical kit and also uh, an inner liner that's waterproof. Um, So very super practical. I can use that for for all my activities. I really even put it in the front uh, pocket of my PDF if I'm whitewater kayaking and the contents do stay dry. So really a, a great idea. I don't receive any compensation or products from Adventure Medical Kits. I just think it's a great idea to have. Um, Now the contents, not so good though. So we're going to talk about that now because I would just go ahead and empty out the kit and we're going to talk about what I would suggest putting in. So to talk about the contents, we're going to break this down into CAB or circulation, airway, and breathing, just to give us a framework to discuss what I would suggest putting in your medical kit. So let's start off with circulation. Circulation. What I would suggest putting in your kit to deal with circulation issues is a non-adherent gauze, multiple gauze pads, now these do not need to be sterile, a few pair of medical gloves, as well as a ski strap to double as a tourniquet. Before we talk about circulation issues in the wilderness, I'd like to start this off with a little story. When I was a first-year resident, I was rotating through a busy pediatric emergency room, and there was a patient who came in, a young infant, with a very severe bleed. Um, It was from a scalp from a recent surgical site, and we were just putting bandage over bandage over the wound. The blood would keep oozing through, and we needed to resuscitate this patient at the same time because the bleeding was pretty severe. Um, Finally, the surgical team came down, saw the patient in the resuscitation bay, took all the bandages off, and they identified the bleeding vessel, and with one finger, the staff surgeon was able to temporarily stop the bleeding until they could bring it up to the operating room for definitive surgical management. And the takeaway from this, really important, I think is that if you're just covering bandage over bandage of an acute bleeding wound, you're not doing the patient any favors. You really have to identify the source of the bleeding, the bleeding vessel, and then with appropriate direct pressure, often with just one finger, that's how you're going to stop the bleeding. So if we bring this back to in the wilderness setting, I think it's really important if you're dealing with active bleeding to apply appropriate direct pressure over the wound to really be able to stop the bleeding first. Once you've stopped the bleeding, that's when you want to get your non-adherent gauze on first as a first layer over the wound. And this is super important because later when the patient is going to get the bandage changed or removed, you don't want the 
blood that had started to clot to be ripped off with the bandage. So the non-adherent goss will be very helpful for that. After you've placed the non-adherent goss, the rest of your goss pads that you've put in, which don't need to be sterile, can just be wrapped around too um, to make a bandage. I would uh, complete this off or tie it off with some medical tape that I would suggest bringing as well. The gloves are pretty self-explanatory, um, really important to protect ourselves while we're caring for other people. And the ski strap is a very important piece of equipment too as well. Now this can be used for life-threatening extremity bleeding as a tourniquet. So you wrap it around the extremity proximal to the bleeding site and you really want to tie down really, really tight to hopefully stop the circulation and stop the life-threatening bleed. Now this really should only be used in life-threatening circumstances, but it can be life-saving. Now, full disclosure here, the ski strap is probably not the best tool you would want for this. In fact, it's been studied and professional devices are able to apply much greater pressure than a ski strap. That being said, a professional CAT or combat application tourniquet is almost half the size of the whole kit here. And really with the objectives of convincing ourselves that this is going to be a packable kit that we're going to bring with us most of the time, we're really going to try to stay low on volume here. And I think that the ski strap is better than nothing for this purpose and can still apply a decent amount of pressure. Next section, airway. Airway. Here, what you're going to want to pack is a disposable face shield and a nasal airway. The face shield is going to be important in the event that you need to do ventilations for the patient. Its choice over the face mask is obvious, just once again because of the size. It's so small, most portable, it just really slides into the kit. Now, as for airway adjuncts, I think the nasal airway is the best bang for your buck here. The reason being that it can be used on most patients, and it can really help clear up the airway or open up the airway in someone who is not ventilating appropriately. Compared to the oral airway, the nasal airway doesn't have the risks of provoking a gag reflex, which could turn a potentially altered patient already in a bad situation into a much worse situation if you do provoke some vomiting and then the secretions and vomit gets into the airway. It is important to note that the nasal airway is contraindicated in people suspected of having a basilar skull fracture, as it has already been described that the airway has migrated towards the brain, uh, really no bueno. But what's also not good is dying of hypoxia. So really, I think in the wilderness setting, if you can't ventilate the patient and he's actively dying of respiratory issues, you really have to weigh the benefits and the risks of this therapy here. So really use your, your own judgment. Breathing. The 14 gauge angiocath for decompression of attention pneumothorax is something that I like to carry. Now, we'll maybe cover this on a later episode because I think the treatment of attention pneumo could be a whole discussion of itself. Um, but I think that the needle decompression, though not the best way to treat this type of disease, is very portable. It's the only tool that you do need. And since attention pneumo can be a life-threatening disease and that this can really temporarily save a patient or be life-saving, that it's a good idea to carry. We're not going to go over how to decompress attention pneumo. I think that in light of your professional training, you should already know this. And if not, this is not the place to learn nor attempt this procedure. Other items. Hotspots and blisters are very common injuries, and though not life-threatening, it's pretty fun to be able to treat them. The best piece of equipment to carry, which also serves a lot of other functions, is duct tape. So really, when you start having those hotspots, I think you should get some take on prophylactically to avoid the injury from getting any worse. But really here, the best treatment is prevention. So wear appropriate footwear or footwear that you've already broken into. For hypoglycemia, which is also something relatively common, I like to stick a small tube of glucose paste in my kit. Um, I like the paste because it can be applied inside the mouth or the lips of the mucosa for a rapid absorption. Here, of course, you have to be mindful of the risks of aspiration, depending on the level of consciousness of your patient. Um, if you're like me, you'll probably end up having to replace your glucose paste pretty frequently, um, because for myself, it often doubles up as a delicious snack for when I forget to bring anything else to eat. 
I also like to carry around a tongue depressor. I break it in half already, so it's already about the appropriate size for finger splints. Or with the two pieces of the broken tongue depressor, you can tape them together, one side. Um, and then after that, you can just pry it open and place it over the nose, and that can serve as a pincer or a pinch to treat epistaxis too as well. A medical cape, like we discussed, has many uses. I think it's super important to carry around, either for just making the nose clamp that we just described with the tongue depressor, or for making the bandages just like we talked about earlier. For medications, I like to throw in some ibuprofen. I think it has multiple uses um, for pain, obviously. Uh, also been described as a treatment for frostbite and possibly even for uh, altitude disease. And we'll go over those at a later episode once again. So really like a nice small medication that really has multiple uses in your kit. I also like to carry around some alcohol swabs. And this is super important because it's not only used for disinfection, but also you can inhale them for treatment of nausea. This was actually studied in a paper published in 2018 uh, by April and all in the Annals of Emergency Medicine. And they compared sniffing these swabs, which are alcohol isopropyl swabs, and they compared that to receiving ondansetron. That's a frequently used medication we use in the emergency department. And surprisingly enough, sniffing the alcohol swabs was shown to be better than that medication. Also, probably has minimal side effects. So And it's very, very small and portable. So really nothing to lose here um, and could be a potential great treatment for nausea. Really important, though, if you're going to use these alcohol swabs, to use the isopropyl alcohol swabs, because those are the ones that have been shown to have the anti-emetic properties or to help with the nausea. All right, and there you have it, the medical kit for most of your days outside, and all in under 0.5 liters. I want to finish off by saying that the most important medical kit is the one that you decided to bring with you. So if there's one thing to take away from this podcast is do start bringing a medical kit with you when you're playing outside because accidents do happen and you have to be able to care for yourself at least temporarily until you can make it to the pre-hospital or hospital services. And that's it for our first episode on the Wild EM podcast. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you soon with more wilderness medicine goodness. Until next time, remember to keep your crampons in the ice.